0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This podcast on 97.3 The Fan is brought to you by Hamul Casino, San Diego's closest casino. Real close, real friendly, real fun.
1: I know what got the Houston Astros last night. Welcome in, everybody, to Gwen and Chris. A happy Wednesday to you. 201 is the time Setting sail on a four-hour get-together today. Chris Ello, Tony Gwynn Jr., and Matt Scravey all together in our Odyssey Palace studios. Here in San Diego, the uh, program will uh, will, uh, contain a visit with uh, Mike Bresnahan from uh, Spectrum Sportsnet. Los Angeles, he will talk about Tony's Lakers in just a little bit. Better that they had a win before we got him on the program.
2: That certainly wouldn't have been fun right? had uh, they have been, <laughs> what, that would have been, what, one, 0 and, 6? Have been one? 0 and 6 They could have been 0-6, but
1: yeah. they got their win on Sunday night. They'll try for another one tonight against the New Orleans Pelicans. So we'll talk a little bit about the Lake Show on the program today. A Daily Gambit is headed your way. It is Wednesday, so we'll have another edition of Rate the Radio Call. Chris versus the fans. The Big Five, it's all coming your way between now and 6 o'clock. But as I said, Tony... I know what got the Houston Astros last night. It's one word, it's one of my favorite when it comes to the world of sports, and the word is karma.
2: Karma? Karma is the word. Oh, I see where you're going.
1: Here's my thing. We're still mad about that? Well, I'm not mad about it. Uh, No, I'm I'm frankly not mad about it at all. I'm just (laughs) saying that I think karma caught up a little bit with the Astros. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about in the karma world. Earlier this year, the Miami Dolphins beat the Buffalo Bills. The only reason they beat them is because their head coach, Mike McDaniels, re- refused to heed the warning signs that Tua Tonga-Vailoa had been concussed late in the first half of that game. He brought him back in in the second half. He told everybody that he had all of the okays from doctors. Doctors were fired, and Tonga-Vailoa played the second half, of course, The Dolphins won. But the next three weeks, in each game, Miami's starting quarterback was knocked from the game, including Tangevaloa himself in Week 4. And to me, that is karma. You handle things the right way, things tend to turn out right for you. You handle things the wrong way, as McDaniels did in that situation, at least to my estimation. Sometimes things creep up on you. And as a result, uh, the karma was against the Miami Dolphins. The Astros... What has it been now? Five years since they cheated their way to a World Series title. <laughs> and you know what? I, you aren't angry about it still? <laughs> I'm seriously not angry about it. I, I that's a fact, is it not? That's not that's not an opinion of mine. That is a that is a flat out fact that they cheated. I mean they were caught red handed. They all been admitted to Take my it. Shirt off. Jose Altuve <laughs> is one of those that is still left on that team. But no, I think most of it's been You know, in my mind, it's been kind of forgotten. I mean, this is a whole new team, pretty much, save for a few players, and I think the Astros are trying to do things the right way now. But last night, the Philadelphia Phillies, whether they did it legally, illegally, however you want to look at it, I think they did it perfectly fine and legal. I'm sure Tony will agree. But they caught something in Lance McCullers' delivery. There's no question in my mind about it. And after Bryce Harper hit the early home run, Alex Bohm went on to hit a home run. Brandon Marsh went on to hit a home run. Kyle Schwarber hit another monster home run. And Reese Hoskins hit a home run. They hit five home runs in five innings off Lance McCullers, who said after the game, I don't think they they had any tip. I don't think I was tipping my pitches. But we caught Bryce Harper, everybody did on camera, calling Alex Bohm over after his at-bat and saying, hey you gotta I don't know we don't know what he said. Bohm was very coy after the game and said, "I'm not gonna share that, but I'm pretty sure that the Astros got beaten at their own game last night. The Phillies, for whatever reason, seemed to know what was coming. Tony, your thoughts on karma catching up with the Astros last night?
2: Yeah, I don't know about the karma part, but I do know that um there was a game plan going into that game, okay. Um, I think the scouting report said that Colors had only thrown one fastball to left-handed hitters throughout the playoffs, just one. Everything else was off-speed. One fastball? One fastball. Wow. And so – Well, you'd think that is something
1: that the Phillies would notice then.
2: So you come in already as a lefty feeling like off-speed is what I'm going to get, whether it's the curveball, the slider, or the changeup. You can sit speed, um, but it was also clear that he saw there was something that Bryce saw, probably not on the pitch he went deep on one of the pitches before he ends up going deep there, okay. and, and so um, I don't know. It was it, it, I I think that I think it all plays into it, right? So you got a, an idea of how he's going to pitch you as a left-handed hitter. Um, clearly, that doesn't um, apply to Bohm because he's right-handed. So whatever Bryce told him in that that uh, after that homer, quite possibly could have led to because it was first pitch, it was a sinker, and it was and if you watch the trail of where that ball is is going to end up, it's going to end up in off the plate for a ball, right? A that boom ball, jumped, but it. boom, it was almost like he knew it was coming, and yeah. so. Uh, yeah. I mean, when and of course I have. I'm not surprised at all that McCullers, uh, was not trying to use that as a reason why. Well, what's he, he going to say?
1: Hit. They caught me. They found something that I did, and I'm in big trouble.
2: Ch- Chances are he hasn't had a chance to like sit and look ha- at that point right after the game. I mean, maybe he had gone up there and had been had a chance to look, but it it just seems like that's not something most pitchers would. Or I shouldn't say most. Some pitchers wouldn't wouldn't feel good about going out and using that when, in essence, they got, they got beat.
1: Yeah, well, he did get beat, and <laughs> I think he was pretty smart not to use it as an excuse, but I right. think he would have also felt it to be a little embarrassing if he was truly tipping his pitches and helping the Philadelphia Phillies set a World Series record by hitting five home runs in five innings. Dusty Baker, after the game, said, we didn't see anything. But clearly the Phillies did. I mean, why would Bryce Harper go out of his way to call over Alex Bohm after that home run and whisper something in his ear? You could tell that Harper, it was information that Harper had to give to Alex Bohm. He couldn't wait another instant longer. And then Alex Bohm steps up on his first pitch and, and conks a home run. Later in the game, Kyle Schwarber is just waiting back on a changeup and blasts it 440 feet to center field. This guy's unbelievable. As I said, he, he was the earlier. Ball so far, I mean, the, at least the home run he hit off Darvish was on a fastball, so some of the speed was provided by Darvish. This is just a changeup. You got to provide all the power yourself. Schwarber absolutely destroyed that baseball. Reese Hoskins followed with another home run. I don't think there was anybody watching that game who felt sorry for the Astros, but I think everybody pretty much feels like they got got. I mean, they got got last night, and I think the Phillies did it in the right way. It's not they weren't cheating, they weren't using video, they weren't using any sign stealing. They just spotted something either in the delivery or in the you know pre motion you know setup of Lance McCullers. That was helping that. And McCullough said after the game, hey, look, everybody knows I throw a lot of off speed pitches, and he does. I think he threw the second fewest off seed or second most speed pitches of anybody in baseball this year, based on the number of innings he worked. But that doesn't really explain it because Lance McCullers this year had a two point two seven ERA. So if everybody was spotting something, he wouldn't have had a two point two seven ERA, and he's been very successful in his career in the postseason. There was something last night that the Phillies caught, and if McCullers comes back around, he's in line to pitch Game 7, he better figure out what that was the, the rea- or they're going to
2: be in some trouble. The reality is, I mean, all of those things can also be used for the argument that he was just making bad pitches because if he has this, this low ERA, like you said, he's pitched the same way the entire season – just on yesterday, he decided he was he, there was a tip that evolved out of, out of thin thin air. Well, uh, I mean, listen, I wouldn't have thought it if I didn't see
1: Harper go up to bomb the way he. I'm did. I'm not
2: saying that Harp didn't see it, but let's be honest: all of those pitches, every single one of them, is like in the middle of the plate, with the exception exception of Alec Bone. All of them, the 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 curve ball that just spun right in the middle of the plate, and and it's like I said, certainly. To be able to know that there's off speed coming and to be able to sit that helps sit miles per hour speed yeah, ask uh,
1: Jose Altuve how helpful it can be
2: you know exactly that that can you you can benefit from it, no. however, those pitches were none of them were good pitches, I mean literally splitting the plate in half
1: well, either way, the Philadelphia Phillies won seven to nothing last night uh you know all of this talk about the tip pitches and the home runs and the monstrous effort of the Phillies' offense kind of covers up the fact that Ranger Suarez, once again, was outstanding and shut down the vaunted Astros uh, for five innings. The bullpen uh, came in. Everybody did their thing with a 7 nothing lead. But Ranger Suarez was supposed to be the weak link for the Philadelphia Phillies. The Padres found out that wasn't true, and now the Astros found out that wasn't true.
2: Ranger Suarez wasn't even supposed to pitch game three. That's oh, right. that's true. <laughs> No, Syndergaard was. So, Kent, dare we say, weather has aided a little bit in Philadelphia's fortunes. I mean... Yeah, because Aaron Nola's coming back tonight. Aaron Nola now comes back tonight. Remember, this was Syndergaard's spot before that rainout took place. It turned Mm -hmm. back into Rangers Suarez. And I don't know, we watched the the first couple innings, and I said to you guys, oh, he's right at the bottom of the zone again. This is pretty much the same thing the Padres got from him, and... It just it makes it hard when a guy is – his sinker is doing what it's supposed to do, and he's throwing it where he's supposed to throw it. Every time the, it seemed like when the Astros tried to get him up in the zone, they were down 0-2. When they tried to attack him early, they hit that sinker right into the ground. And so um, sometimes you are at the mercy of – the pitcher always dictates the action. Yeah. that's That's just the way the game works. And when they are executing their pitches – It becomes a very tough task for, I don't care what offense, even one like the Astros.
1: Well, tonight the advantage swings to the Phillies because they have one of their aces, Nola, going, whereas the Astros go with their number 4 guy, Christian Javier. is pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good, and uh, we'll see if the Astros – I mean, to me, you can talk all you want about the home runs. Houston's got to find the offense again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They've scored uh, five runs early in Game 1, then were completely shut down by the bullpen. They scored five runs early in Game 2, were completely shut down by the bullpen. Last night, they didn't get anything. So no, no. the Phillies' bullpen has thrown 13 shutout innings in this series. That's another soft spot, supposedly, for Philadelphia that is coming through. The
2: Padres learned that the hard way as well, right? I mean, yeah. the bullpen has been lights out for, for Philly. And, and they are no-name guys coming in, too. They, they, these are dudes who struggled in the past, have had a difficulty. They're all pitching at their best right now and you know this is this is how the playoffs go we said at the beginning of the series right the Astros should very much win this series but Philly's got something magical going right now and it just seems like in that yard where they have yet to lose a ball game still right um, there's a, there seems to be some type of real home field advantage there for that ball club
1: well they are 6-0 and at home this year and as far as Lance McCullers Jr. is concerned he gave up a total of four home runs this entire season in the regular season. Five last night. Wow. Something was amiss as the Phillies route the Astros to nobody's disappointment. 7 nothing. the final. They lead two games to one. Game four is coming up a little bit later on this evening. We are underway on a Gwen and Chris show. Plenty to talk about on this uh, Wednesday afternoon. There might be a football team for sale. We'll tell you about that. Uh, we'll talk about what's going on in the NFL, the NBA. We already touched on that a little bit. We will uh, get into a few stories going on there. And uh, we will uh, take you through the sports Wednesday as it, uh, as it develops here. Chris Ello, Tony Gwynn Jr., Matt Scraby, underway from our Odyssey Palace studios Back with much more when uh, we resume here on San Diego's number one sports talk station, 97.3 The Fan.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.
3: Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. 220.
2: Tony Gwynn Jr., Chris Sello, Matt Scraby. Four hours with you guys today. Talking uh, a little Padre baseball in this segment. Josh Bell. One of the many free agents um, that the Padres uh, may look to bring back, may not. Um, I think it's uh, kind of a wait and see, but Dennis Lynn of The Athletic, who uh, we all around here know very well, wrote an article today kind of posing that question. Is with the first base obviously a spot of need or that's open along with the DH spot? Um, Does Josh Bell fit? Now, obviously, he had a rough second half, rough post-deadline for the Padres, um, but had a much better postseason for the Padres, played well. And, you know, the question really becomes, is this somebody you want to commit long-term to, Chris?
1: I I don't. um, Not for the kind of money I think he's going to command. Josh Bell's statistics with the Padres were poor. Um, uh, I, I think one of the things in the article was right to kind of compare and contrast what Josh Bell did after he was acquired to what Luke Voigt did after he left, to what Eric Hosmer did after he left. And didn't they say that Hosmer came up with some of the better numbers? Yes, with less,
4: well,
2: less say, appearances. with less A B less plate yeah. appearances. But Luke Voigt, uh in terms of that yeah. had um the better numbers yeah
4: it, it also in the article it leads me to believe that the better option for the Padres is Brandon Drury because he could play more positions and he's giving you probably what Josh Bell could give you if he did what he did last year he's giving you good offense and he could play multiple positions and I think I mean that's more valuable to teams right the multiple positions or does it depend on player to player
2: I think I think multiple positions is valuable to some extent um I mean, the question is, if if it applies to Josh Bell that there is a, a team out there that can offer him a ton of money, why wouldn't it apply to Brandon Drury, who had the better full season uh, from front, from start to finish uh, than Josh Bell? So I, I would consider Brandon Drury in that same category, maybe even in a little bit stronger position, possibly.
1: I think the Padres have to see what the landscape is like. I yeah. mean, if the money is showering in for Josh Bell and or Brandon Drury, I think it's going to be difficult for the Padres to match in either situation. Um, but I agree with Scraby. I, I would be more more likely to be interested in Brandon Drury because he gives me you know a little third base, second base, first base look, uh, a little more valuable. Josh Bell, though, is, a, is tantalizing because you know what he did prior to coming to San Diego. Uh, and you'd love to see you know him put together that kind of season in a Padre uniform, but I just don't know that they're going to be able to. The Padres aren't going to be able to get everything they want, and they're going to have to prioritize. Right, right. You know, and because, it's going to be first base. It's going to be you know the bullpen. relief, the bullpen. Yeah, Nick Martinez to me is a key guy to try and get back. Are you interested in Clovinger? Are you interested in Manaya? You know, do you have to work out something with Jerks and who Has got a player option. So there's a lot of pieces that are going to have to come into yeah. play here during the off season, But Josh Bell, to me, was a big disappointment. And, you know, that doesn't mean that he can't be, you know, a great revelation next year, right? I mean, uh, you know, the, you look at the season he had this season. I mean, when he was with Washington, Josh Bell was, was knocking the cover off the ball, wasn't he? Yep. You know, um, I mean, his average – Looking it up here, real quick, Tony. He hit three oh one with Washington, and he hit a hundred and nine points lower with San Diego. I mean, how do you how do you how do you factor that? Same uh, guy. I know he had to change the location, Petco Park, not as good of a hitter's park, but a hundred
4: and nine points.
2: Yeah, wow.
1: That's crazy.
4: I would like to see what some of these guys, like mainly Juan Soto, do with a full off season with the same team, being in the Padres facilities, maybe even working out with Fernando, who knows, um, other guys that are going to be at the facilities. I want to see what they could do with a full off season Because the more I read about the trade process and the more I hear from players about the trade process, it's not just as easy as getting on a plane and coming to San Diego and playing baseball. There's so much more involved. And I think that we have to put that – into the thought process. Well, Juan Soto's batting
1: average with the Padres is only 10 points lower than he had been with Washington. So he wasn't having a great batting average season even before he got to San Diego. Now, his OPS with San Diego went down 116 points from what it was in Washington because his slug was way down. His on-base percentage was pretty much similar. Uh, Yeah, Juan Soto's a different bird, though, than than Josh Bell because Juan Soto's a... You know, three-time MVP finisher in the top ten and yeah. silver slugger guy. You know, he's he's regarded as one of the best young players in baseball. So, yeah, I think everybody's excited to see what he can do in a full season here.
2: Question. Did you guys know that uh, Jerickson Profar is a free agent? Well, I, I knew, that he,
4: it. It, I knew it, that he could
2: test it. Said pro, I, I'm knew i reading that this article by uh, your guy, Keith Law. Oh, my just, guy. <laughs> just came out. Uh, And it says Profar hits the market off his career year, having declined his $8.33 million player option.
1: That I did not hear. I did
2: not hear that either. When did that happen?
4: (laughs) Apparently pretty recent.
1: In the last seven minutes? I mean, uh, you would have think somebody might have reported that in San Diego somewhere. I don't recall hearing that. I'm looking
4: at his spot track, and and it's— Still says that he has he has a player option. So, well, it, this is saying that he declined. Uh, yeah, though. I know. So, yeah. Usually they would update this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go do some investigation. Do, do some digging on that. will you scream,
2: nevertheless, that's there's uh, I mean, there's a, a a now an open position and left. If there's not a discussion for, I mean, if if Jerickson's declining the eight three three, that would lead me to believe that. He, he thinks, thinks he can get more. He thinks he can get more. Yeah. So and are you so, gonna be
1: willing to give ten million for jerks and profar to come back next year?
4: That's a good question. It's a big question. I pay it. <laughs> <laughs> See, he, no, well yeah, I do, but he's still a huge part of the team. He
2: definitely is, there's no doubt. He, he I think Bo Mel said it himself. He has emerged as one of the leaders in that clubhouse. Now, this is where it becomes uh difficult i think sometimes to to keep a nucleus together right i mean if that if i have no reason to believe that this is uh it, the, the article says earlier today so this just came out today so you know, I, i'm I not think, seeing you know,
1: it anywhere yeah i'm not i i would think that we would have seen that so i am going to go ahead and be I hesitant mean, yes. to yeah. to <laughs> think that he's already turned down his player option one thing i think would be kind of fun that would make us look really bad would be for us in the next couple of weeks, maybe not today, but in the next couple of weeks on this show, try our best to predict the Padres' not batting order, but just their lineup as it will look when Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back from suspension on April the twentieth. That would be Who fun. Beware!
4: I think about this quite and often. It would be actually. really
1: funny to go actually in April and compare what it actually is to what we think it's going to be. Because I don't think anybody's going to be able to predict what it's going to look like. I mean, other than Manny Machado at third base, I think right, every other right. position is up for grabs. We don't know who's going to be at first base. We don't know if Cronenworth will be at second. Well, Maybe they'll it, move him.
2: You'll say, you. What you can say is, well, you can at least say that Somewhere in the infield will be Manny Machado, Jake yeah. Cronenworth, Hassan Kim.
1: Right. But where? Other that than is, Manny being tough. in third, that's the only thing you know. It's, left field, we don't know if Profar will be back. Center field, we don't know if Grisham will be back. You gotta assume Soto will be in right field, but they could make a change and put Soto in left field and Fernando in right. I, I you know, in the catching thing we already talked about, it. I think Wilson Contreras is a guy that they have to kick the tires on as a free agent to upgrade their catcher position as good as Austin did in the postseason. I think Contreras is a whole upgrade better. So I think other than Manny Machado, third base, I don't think there's anybody who can 100% with certainty say what the Padres starting nine will look like on April 20th when Fernando comes back.
4: Now, Keith Law said that he had opted out, right? Because I uh, just, I'm gonna
2: read you it okay. so Profar hits the market off his career year, having declined his eight point three three million player option and his free agency for the first time a decade. Uh, okay.
4: Okay, yeah. AJ Castle published an article forty five minutes ago talking about next season, and he said he's he lists Jerks and Profar as one of the three that can opt out, but he does not say they have opted out. So I tend to believe AJ. I'm going with AJ. Yeah, AJ Casavell knows much better than Keith Law knows. Well, there you have it. Well, we'll <laughs> we, see. we we got to the bottom of this one, guys. Well, that would have been huge news that we would have known it for now. about.
1: I mean, it doesn't mean that Keith Law won't eventually be correct. I just don't think he's correct yet.
2: All right. Well, we got more time. Uh, Padres have more time. More importantly, to figure out exactly how this roster will come together. Let's step away. Take a break. When we come back. Mike Bresnahan, Spectrum Sportsnet LA. Talk a little bit of Lakers on the other side. More going and Chris.
1: Welcome back to Gwen and Chris. This hour, 97.3 The Fan, brought to you by On Deck Small Business Loans. When you own a small business, sometimes you need funds fast. So go to ondeck.com, America's largest online small business lender. OnDeck makes it easy to apply in minutes. Apply for your loan today at ondeck.com we we'll talk a little Laker basketball here in this segment. Lakers coming off of their first victory of the season. Finally putting a smile on the face of Tony Gwynn Jr. with a yes, uh, 121 to 110 verdict over the Denver Nuggets on Sunday night. And they beat a decent team, too. Yeah, first of a four game homestand. Lakers continue that homestand tonight against the up and coming New Orleans Pelicans joining us from uh, Spectrum Sports Net in Los Angeles covers the Lakers Mike Bresnahan nice enough to spend a little time with us here on the premier Chevrolet of Carlsbad fan hotline Mike how you doing today
5: You okay guys how are you down there in San Diego
1: We're uh, we're hanging in there uh, I guess your city's basketball team has one more victory than ours does <laughs> But uh, at least they have one right I mean 0 five, as they you know they always say you know a five game losing streak in the middle of January or February is cause for a little concern but not a big deal. But when you open the season 0 five, people tend to think you're never going to win again.
5: Tell you what, a lot of uh, hand wringing, a lot of angst amongst the fan base last week. Lakers 0 five, still got two, let's call it three Hall of Fame players on the roster and they just couldn't hit any shots. It was unbelievable. I saw more zone defense over the first five games of the Lakers season than I have uh, covering plenty of high school and college seasons in my past. I mean, teams are daring them to shoot, completely clogging the paint. And then finally, it's like the heavens open up, and the Lakers shot 43% from a three-point range <laughs> to beat uh, Denver uh, a few days ago. So I'm trying to continue the momentum, with, of course, tonight against New Orleans. And uh, they can hit their three. It's not going to hit 43% every night, but just uh, somewhere where they're not 20%, which is kind of the clip they were hitting through their first
2: five. Michael, where is Anthony Davis at mentally? I know he, he's fought through injuries and he kind of gutted through that first victory uh, the other night. Uh, but I would imagine. Uh, uh, athletes after a while you keep getting injured you keep getting beat up That, that starts to take a toll is is he still in a good place in terms of that
5: you know that's such a great question it's so funny because when the lakers won it all in 2020 the bubble year he missed only nine games and i feel like okay maybe he is kind of shedding the label of being an injury prone player and then came the year after that he missed about half the season and then came last year and again He missed about half the season. He said his goal this year, his personal goal, was to play all 82. Well, he only got through four before he had to sit out a game. And I give him a lot of credit for kind of, like you said, pushing through it, getting that against Denver. Obviously, his back is a problem. He said afterwards it kind of feels like there's little mini shocks uh, at certain times in the game in his back. I'm no no, uh, chiropractor, but that that doesn't sound too good. And um, he was out there today at shoot-around. Uh, so it looks like he's playing tonight. Mentally, you know, I give him credit. Like I said, he just keeps pushing through it. He hears the labels. He hears the nicknames. He sees the memes, and I know for sure he does not want to be known as, a, as, as one of those injury-prone guys.
1: Mike Bresnahan is with us from Spectrum Sportsnet in Los Angeles. Of course, the other thing that I think happened when they started 0-5 is that all of a sudden in everybody's mind LeBron James was old and uh, couldn't get the <laughs> job done anymore. Even though it seemed to me he was still getting to the rim pretty much whenever he wanted to. Uh, didn't look like he was getting a lot of the same foul calls. One of the games I watched, anyway, against, I think it was Minnesota, he became pretty frustrated. But LeBron is just a – I don't know if a freak of nature is a proper term, but, I mean, this guy's still in unbelievable condition, is he not?
5: I'll tell you what, if the record was flipped and there were 5-1 instead of 1-5, there's no doubt he'd be one of the top two or three players in the MVP discussion which is silly since we're only a couple days into November. But (laughs) um, his numbers are so good, and yet it's buried under the radar. And and I understand why, because the people who vote for these MVP awards, which I used to do in the past when I was at the LA Times, they like winners. They like winning teams. So it's rare you're going to get an MVP candidate who is not on one of the top three or four teams in the entire NBA. Right now the Lakers, they were the last team to win a game. So LeBron's just not going to get that much hype for, for what he's doing, putting up crazy good numbers, close to, to triple-doubles almost every night. Uh, he'll be 38 next month. How about that, guys? That's pretty crazy. Mm. And he's also taking a leadership role. I give him credit for this uh, off the court. He, in fact, he's, he's kind of shutting down the, the Russell Westbrook line of questioning that is really pervading the franchise. You know, is he going to get traded? Is he going to get back in the starting lineup? How's he going to do off the bench? Why is he missing shots? Why is he making certain decisions on the court? Well, LeBron finally had enough of the media probing about that a few games ago, and he said, I don't want to keep talking about Russ. I'm going to try to be a leader. Let's let's talk about something else. So he, he's dealing with stuff on and off the court, and uh, in my mind, he, he is definitely not the reason why they are
2: 1-5. Mike Bresnahan joins the Spectrum Sportsnet LA, and you bring up Russ um when they were 0 and five, there was a lot of noise starting to kind of bubble up again, uh, and then mm-hmm. he goes to the bench, and he seemingly has played better off the bench. But more importantly, it, it seems that he has accepted this role. And I know they had talked about it earlier in the season; it didn't quite come to fruition. But we seems like it seems like we're at this place now. What changed in those last two days? Last two games.
5: You know, I give Darvin Ham, the, the first-year head coach, a lot of credit. This is a guy who toiled a lot as an NBA assistant, bounced around for over a decade, also coached in the G League for a while. He is the one who's been able to, to get the Russ and say, hey, coming off the bench is probably the best deal for you right now. Not, I'm not sure last year's coaching staff for Lakers could have got that done because Russ would have uh, gone kicking and screaming. But Darvin made it a point when he got the job back in June to, to cultivate Russ right away. And, and, and Russ listens to him, and Russ believes in him. And it did help that Russ had a hamstring injury a couple games ago. And sometimes you want to bring those guys off the bench when they're, when they're back from an injury just to see how they do. And he has absolutely thrived in that role. He had 18 uh, eight rebounds and eight assists in a game the other night. And uh, it really adds a different dimension to the Lakers. And You get him away from another primary ball handler in LeBron for part of the game, and that, that's really allowed Russ to, to be Russ. And uh, I, I don't know if it's the answer. We'll see if it can be sustained throughout the season. But they're off to a really good start with the Russ experiment off the bench. Two games into it, for what's that worth? For what that's worth. Lakers
1: with the uh, one and five record, but the one was their last time out. So yes, things are looking a little up for the Lake Show. They play New Orleans tonight up at Staples Center. Uh, Mike, what about the supporting cast uh, you know, Lonnie Walker the fourth Troy Brown jr. Kendrick Nunn uh, to name a few and there are others obviously um, is this gonna be strong enough to carry the Lakers to where they need to go because I mean you know the focus is on LeBron and Davis and Westbrook but these other guys have to contribute. Somewhere along the line, is this a good enough group or do the Lakers need to upgrade there sooner rather than later?
5: That, that's a great question. You know, you just mentioned a lot of names. Not a lot of shooters in that group. And when the Lakers lose guys like Malik Monk, to free agency, he's up in Sacramento now. Carmelo Anthony, they did not re-sign him. He has not signed with anyone, which surprised me a little bit because he can still score. But Carmelo and Malik were two of their best three-point shooters last season. So the Lakers didn't target shooting as much in free agency. They targeted youth. And and I think that's working. I mean, Lonnie Walker Jr., very young, active presence for the Lakers. He's uh, he's averaging, uh, you know, in the teens. He, he's, he's definitely putting some points on the board. But great question as far as can they find the shooters, the people to really take the burden off LeBron and AD, give the Lakers some easy buckets. That's what I call threes these, these days, easy buckets, as opposed to the grind of AD and LeBron continually driving through an already jammed paint because everyone's daring the Lakers to shoot? That, that's a huge question. They answered it the other night, but definitely not in the first five games.
2: My last one from me uh, y- you mentioned Darvin Ham, who uh, is a defensive minded um, head coach. Uh, the, the, the Lakers have seemingly improved in that area. Is is this a kind of a model of what we'll see moving forward with this defense? Because uh, Westbrook's played better defensively. LeBron seems more engaged. They have because they're younger, they can seemingly guard a little bit better.
5: Yeah, that's a great call. I mean, Darvin came in here. He was kind of a a, a tough nosed power forward for the Detroit Pistons. I'm sure Chris, you remember uh, all too well that uh, he was on that team that beat the Lakers back in 2004, and he came in here. With, with, with a, an agenda, a defensive agenda. He so said, we've got to get back to being one of the top five defenses in the league. They were third a couple years ago when they won it all. They were first the year after that. And then it's been kind of a slow descent. The last year, they were 21st in defensive efficiency. His thing is, we've got to be better. We just have to stop people. And they've been able to do that. The problem is the offense has been so sleepy that, that the defensive effort has gone unrewarded in so many of these games. So, yeah, AD looks great. Uh, Another situation where he'd probably be getting some some talk for defensive player of the year, you know, a half dozen games into the season, if he wasn't on the team that had that one-in-five record. And I think they do have the people to play good defense. The the players they have put together are young. They're they're hungry defensively. Uh, So that could be the the, kind of the the things they hang their hat on the entire season. Got to stop people. But then again, even if you hold people 105 points in today's NBA, you've got to score more than 100 a night. The Lakers are just barely above that these days.
1: What does our guy Worthy think about today's NBA compared to his NBA, where, <laughs> where when you were running on a fast break, you actually picked a lane and went to the basket for a layup or a dunk, and now
5: you fan out for a three-point shot? You know, I, I think it's been a, a good gradual adjustment for James. I think at first he was like, what is going on? And it's true. These days, I mean, the Pelicans, the team the Lakers played tonight, they're close to setting an NBA record. Every game they've played, they've scored at least 110 points. It's one of the fastest starts offensively in league history. And it's just the the wave of the future. Uh, In the NFL, the most important position more than ever is quarterback, second most receiver. Why? You can score a ton of points very quickly if you're good at both those positions. And in the NBA, it's all three-point shooting. And the Lakers right now are, are kind of embracing a little bit of an old-school mindset, scoring in the paint a lot, and playing good defense. But, uh, you know, I think James Worthy would approve of them. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. I know he does enjoy watching guys like uh, Steph Curry play. He, he's, he's embraced the modernization of the NBA, especially on offense. My guy, James. By the way, great MC the other night. They had the George Mikan jersey retirement ceremony at Crypto.com Arena. He MC'd the entire thing before the game. Told a few jokes, uh, showed, shared some uh, insight and wit. If he can hit threes, the Lakers might be signing him, that's for sure, too.
1: James Worthy becoming quite the, uh, quite the broadcaster. Well, Mike, we appreciate your work, and thanks for all your help and uh, updating the Laker fans down here and what's going on. Good luck here in the early season run. All right, guys. Good talking to you. Talk to you soon. Yes, we will check in soon. Mike Bresnahan, Spectrum Sportsnet LA, on the premier Chevrolet of Carlsbad fan hotline, save money the right way. With Premier Chevrolet of Carlsbad, visit them today in the Carlsbad Auto Mall. Chevrolet, find new roads. And you talk about the old-school NBA and the new-school NBA, and you look at the Lakers' statistics, Tony. They are shooting 52% from two-point range. That'll get the job done. But just half that from three-point range. <laughs> there, there lies the problem. 26%. And that's the problem. They've only got two guys shooting better than 33%. And uh, Austin Reeves and uh, Matt Ryan aren't taking all that many opportunities. So, you know, it is amazing right now. If you can't hit the three-point shot, it is difficult to keep up. Even though you can get down and LeBron and Anthony Davis can get looks right around the rim and score pretty much at will, you're still losing ground to these teams that are coming down and firing away from the perimeter. It's It's a crazy different game than it ever was before, and uh, Mike brought up the point, a three-point shot does take a lot of pressure off that offense, and right now, that is still the question for the Lakers, if they're going to be able to find that consistency
2: from the arc. Uh, You know who, who found some consistency last night? was your man, Zach Levine. Ooh, he He, got hot. He found some serious consistency, Yeah,
1: He was having a a really bad game, and I was getting a little frustrated as I watched (laughs) the game. And I'm like, whatever happened to Zach Levine? He used to really be good. And uh, Donovan, the coach of the Bulls, put him over there on the bench for a little while, and they were behind Brooklyn, and kind of looked like they were headed for defeat. And they went into the fourth quarter, and Zach Levine caught fire, Tony. My goodness. 20 points in the fourth quarter alone, hit about five three-pointers and carried the uh carried the Bulls to a victory over the uh this net situation. They're now two and six with their new coach uh last night, Jock Vaughn, trying to get them a win and Kevin Durant pretty much doing it all by himself to keep Brooklyn in that game. Uh Kyrie Irving took the night off mentally. I think he only scored four points. I, I don't think I've ever seen Kyrie Irving only score four points. Yeah. And uh, Ben Simmons just took the night off to rest his ailing knee. It was his second game in a row, so That Brooklyn situation continues to be uh, one worth monitoring. Uh, Doka is supposed to come in as the new head coach, but that hasn't been announced yet. That should fix it. Well, it might. I mean, you've got to find a way to get these guys motivated to play the level they're capable of playing of. Right now, Durant's the only one doing that.
2: Yeah, I think it's tough because in some ways this season has felt doomed from the start, right? I mean at one point Kevin Durant during the offseason was asking that both the GM and head coach be fired. And right. I'm just saying regardless of what ended up happening after it it would seem like that's hard to come back from, right? We got to we have to still work together. I know no matter what you've said since at one point you didn't like me enough that you wanted me gone. And so I would imagine that's tough to come in and and the mojo in the building probably can't be that great.
1: Yeah. You know what's interesting but about
2: this is – One more thing. This is yeah. what happens, though. And listen, I'm all for player empowerment and, and, you know, taking the reins like they have. However, this might be the tale of when that goes too far. Because this, a lot of this is, you know, this was – I mean, at one point when Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant first signed four years ago, I think Kyrie said something along the lines of, I don't think we even need a coach. And I mean, all of that has trans—all the things that has transpired there after. Yeah, it just it, you know, it, it's it's. Um...
1: Durant said he was shocked that Steve Nash was let go. I find that a little hard to believe that he was shocked, Come on. considering he was the one trying to usher him out the door. Uh, what I wanted to bring up was the uh, Kyrie Irving scoring four points last night. It reminds me how unbelievable LeBron James is. Do you know when the last time LeBron James did not score double figures in a game, Tony? It had
2: to be like year one.
1: January sixth, two 2007. He has gone 15 and a half years <laughs> without having a game under 10 points. Not one game. Scraby and I talked about this last week. You'd to think he'd shoot four for 15 one night and have no. eight points. It hasn't happened in 15 and a half years. He's over 1,100 straight games with double figures, and if you don't think that's impressive, I, I mean, I'm sorry. That's that, ridiculous. That's, that's absolutely ludicrous. I know he's the greatest player. Michael Jordan did it for 900 games, so it just, you know, he can you can do it, but LeBron has blown past that record. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's you the, know, he brings it, you've got to bring it every single night, and there's no way the Lakers ever play a game where the other team isn't trying to focus defensively a little
2: on LeBron, but he's –